our team collected snow samples from just above the balcony, just up the up a little bit from the balcony, and that's where the highest microplastics in the world were found. Plastics just everywhere, not only in the oceans, but uh, even up on the highest slopes of Mount Everest. So. I, Maybe it's, it's an important teaching tool for us. Though. It is. It's an important teaching tool and a milestone in some ways that, hey, this is very serious mm-hmm. how we're impacting the environment. From Appalachian State University in Boone, North Carolina, this is Sound Effect. Now here's your host, Megan Hayes. Well, it's been a long time since we've been able to record a Sound Effect podcast, and I am so very, very pleased to be returning with climate scientist Dr. Baker Perry who is a professor in App State's Department of Geography and Planning, and his colleague, Panaru Sherpa. In 2019, as part of the National Geographic and Rolex Perpetual Planet Expedition to Mount Everest, Baker Perry and Panaru Sherpa were part of an expedition team that braved record crowding, temperatures of nearly negative 22 degrees Fahrenheit, and icing that compromised their oxygen intake to install the two highest operating automated weather stations in the world on Mount Everest. In 2021, The global COVID pandemic prevented many members of the expedition team to return to Everest Weather Station maintenance. Sherpas in the village of Portse, who make nearly every Everest expedition possible, were able to service the weather stations, which are providing scientists with an unprecedented level of weather data that will improve weather forecasting across the globe. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Baker Perry and Panaru Sherpa to talk about the project, their expeditions, and their partnership. Baker Perry and Panaru Sherpa, welcome to Sound Effect. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, we're so glad to have you. Um, Baker, let's start. If you could tell me a little bit about yourself and how you came to be interested in climate science. Well, I had some unique experiences as a child. I lived in the Andes of Bolivia in Peru and as high as uh, 13,000 feet, and we would take outings up higher than that. And so I had this natural fascination. And for some reason, too, as a kid, I, I read a lot of books about Everest and um I didn't really expect necessarily to be back in Everest, but as a result of the National Geographic Expedition and my relationship with uh, the director, Paul Majewski, I had the opportunity to go. And so clearly these early experiences uh, were very formative. And there were some memorable snow events in the Southern Appalachians, too, that I can point to in 1987 and uh, 1993, the big blizzard. And I think those experiences were very important in my career path. So how did you end up on an expedition to Mount Everest? Right. So this particular expedition, the opportunity to to join it came through an existing relationship, uh, collaboration with Dr. Paul Majewski from the Climate Change Institute at the University of Maine. We had collaborated on a project in the Andes together, and then he was invited to head up the expedition to Everest and knew that I had experience working with weather stations in the Andes and invited me to come along. And again, I I had not necessarily been planning to go to the Himalayas for research. I'd been there once before in 1999 when I was a graduate student, but uh, this was an opportunity that came up. and, And of course, I was very excited to be a part of it. And it was through that opportunity that I uh, have developed the relationship here with Panaru and um, and the other Sherpas and the communities there in Nepal. So Panaru, I understand you grew up in Portse, the Sherpa village in the Himalayas, which is home to the Kumbu Climbing Center. Did I say that correctly? Yes. So this climbing center, I understand this village and, and your climbing center has more Everest summiters than anywhere on earth. Can you tell me, talk about your childhood responsibilities in Portse? 
Yeah, so when I'm younger, I'm uh, starting school like that's only three years old. After three years, I have to looking for my family, my father, mother, yak and hak, looking for in the mountain. I like trekking, and then that time I first time I walk for trekking portals. Uh, I carrying like uh, 30 kilos bag, carrying for the trekking. Sherpa's job is like uh, making set up tent, set uh, packing for tent. 1988, my first expedition in Mount Everest. That is uh, September and October. Yes. So, so how old were you the first time you went up above base camp, up through the ice fall? How old were you? That time is uh, I am uh, 17 years old. First time I have before I have not uh, climbing training, mm-hmm. not use rope, not use uh, crampons, harness, everything. Just mm. I direct I going to base camp and my bigger brother's name is Possum Girls in Shervos. He's have a teach like uh, how to use crampons, how to use rope. They have to teach and the next days I have to carry uh, the big letters, three letters I carry and I have to bring in the Kumbu Ice Wall. Oh. First wow. time. First time? Yes. So how many kilos is that? One letter like uh, seven to eight kilos. Oh. Yes. So yes. we're talking 21, 22 kilos, so 50 pound yes. plus load going through the Kumbu Ice Fall. Yes. Is a yes. lot of weight. Yes. Uh, so... You were chairman of the Kumbu Climbing Center in Portsea from 2004 to 2019. Can you talk about the history and the mission of the KCC and the motivation to train Sherpas to have more climbing skills? Yes. To be safer. Yes. Right? The Kumbu Climbing Centers give for the people going to mountain, never been mountain and they are the first time to climbing and they're interesting climbing and that we give first time for like a safety, safety margin. Mm-hmm. And some how to use not, how to use uh, use for uh, climbing gear, mm-hmm. the climbing gear name, everything's basic thing. Mm-hmm. And then also here have to coming for next year advanced, maybe we have more advanced trainings for rescue, mm-hmm. rescue training and mm-hmm. save. Yeah, so I was there January 2019. There were a few of us from the National Geographic Expedition that went early to train with Panaru and the other Sherpa team members, and Conrad Anker was there. And so we, we, were, we were there at the same time as the Kumbu Climbing Center class, and it was so impressive to see how well it was run and how well it was working and to see all the people, the young people coming in for the training. So that was very neat to be a part of that. Yes. Yeah. Is that the first time you two met? That was yes. the first time, yeah, January yes. 2019. Yes. And I, so we stayed at his lodge at the Fortse, Fortse guest house. Yes. And, um, and very comfortable um, lodge with a wood stove in the middle of it and very good food and uh, very comfortable. And so that's, uh, that's where you. we met. And, and um, I met his wife and some other family and other Sherpa team members too. Yeah, I would imagine having that personal connection is also really helpful when you're climbing together. It was so helpful for us, I mean, especially for Tom and me to have been there 
and begun to develop the relationship with um, especially Panuru and the other Sherpa team members because we didn't have a lot of time together during the expedition because there was so much to do. You all were carrying lots of loads up and down the mountain. And so I think if we hadn't had that time together as part of the KCC course, that it would have been more challenging to communicate and to and to plan and to mm-hmm. um, it may have been it may have been harder to have to have the success that we had without that without those relationships that we built. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, you had to make some tough decisions when you were when you were on the mountain. Do you mind talking a little bit about um, what your roles, each of your roles, were on that 2019 expedition, and um, kind of get us into that a little bit, Baker? So I was the co-leader of the meteorology team on the expedition, worked closely with Tom Matthews, my colleague from the UK. And so we were tasked with setting up a network of weather stations, uh, including one in Port Say. Uh, in, in fact, Panaru's land, he's uh, generous to let us set up one of the weather stations on, on one of his agricultural fields oh, where they wow. uh, have grown potatoes and, and buckwheat. There's not a lot of flat land in uh, yeah. <laughs> in the community, and this was a great site. And we didn't need a lot of it, just a little small piece. And he said, okay. And so we, we set that station up, and then we went up to base camp and set up another station at base camp, and then at camp two, South Call, and of course, the highest one at the at the balcony. And so that was my major responsibility and of course we had to work very closely together and maybe you want to talk about what what was your responsibility on the 2019 expedition yeah there are times i'm my i am is a expedition we call uh, sadar sadar is a guide for uh, shadows or every all group so i make a i making food tent and Oxygen. Oxygen, everything's to prepare for Kathmandu to best camp. Maybe mm-hmm. when the group's coming, we have to ready oxygen tent, food, and climbing gear. Everything's we have to ready to best camp. So we make our tent, one groups, the good men groups coming, making tent camp, everything's ready. We have to tent, or dining tent, mess tent, kitchen tent, shower tent, toilet tent, everything's ready there. And then the group's coming there. And then I'm making plan like a good ceremony puzzles there. And then, so the after, so after I send shadows in the camp one, camp two, and then making load, how uh, oxygen, tent, put, everything we have to supply in the camp one, two, three, four. And then my job like a whose ship was going to ice goals, whose ship was going to the weather stations, and I have to divide that. And this was the largest scientific expedition ever on Mount Everest. And so it was a big team. I mean, even above base camp, there were seven of us. So three scientists and four media team members, and then plus the 15 Sherpa. So just the logistics of moving that many people up high is very challenging, but we also had the scientific equipment. 
And yes, so, man. I mean, the weather stations were big loads yes. to carry, right? Yes. Heavy and big load. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and battery, the battery is small, but very heavy, you know? <laughs> right. And then many times, the ship was many times carrying from base camp to camp to 18, 20 times there. Wow. And then South Coal, the camp holds, uh, they have the carrying, I think, five times carrying off. And also they're down, everything make everything's carrying down. Yeah, the shepherds have a very difficult job. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean none of what we did would have been possible without the, the Sherpa team and and especially your leadership, Panaru and uh it's just so much weight to move up and and just the um, challenge of negotiating the ice fall and the lotse face and um, and you know bringing ice cores down those were very heavy yeah, I heavy. know and, yes. and complicated and drills and just yeah, uh, it was a big job yes because well yeah. you had lots of different parts too right because nothing was put together didn't you have to take it all in pieces and then on site build it in order to get the scientific equipment to yeah. work yeah, so there was a load of the tripod, yes. and then a battery was its own load because it was so heavy, and then yes. there were different instruments spread out among different yes. people, different members of the team. Then, yeah, we had to put them all together, and yes. we practiced a lot, Yes, and including back in January 2019 when we were there. We did lots of practicing and training, and then, of course, at base camp and at Camp 2 before going up, we did lots of practicing putting it together. So yes. I think you all were pretty confident. You you <laughs> knew you. what to do. Yes. So what was the hardest part of the exhibition? What was the biggest challenge that you had? My main hardest part is like uh, going to balcony, carrying on the heavy load with oxygen, everything. And then also uh, many people's this day the traffic jam traffic jam yeah i remember seeing the and pictures and then of that. that is a hardest day and then i dis- we have decided the balcony will make a weather station there and the original plan was to get up to the south summit mm-hmm. which is a little bit higher yeah. than the than the balcony up on the the main ridge line there but yeah i think that was that, that was tough i mean we were in this just traffic jam that was just moving very very slowly um, below the balcony and then when we got up to the balcony uh, we were already it it took us longer than we anticipated and we could look up ahead and see just just a lot of people up there and knew that it was going to be very very challenging to go on and just from the time standpoint that we might not be successful uh, even yeah. if we went on and then of course that that it it, it, intro- it would have introduced a lot more of a safety hazard mm-hmm. uh, to stay up so long and then to be coming down uh, after such a long time up high so I think that was a very very wise call and it was it was it was your call you were yeah. the lead yeah and we topped out at the balcony and um i had been following panuru up to there and knew that uh you were concerned and frustrated too with the slow pace and so we got up there and you looked at me and said i think we need to stop 
here. Yeah, it's yeah. not safe to go on. Yeah. And and I said, I I trust your judgment. So. Well, that was making world headlines at that point, the number of people on Everest. I remember reading the news and seeing photographs from that time and thinking about how challenging and, and also frustrating that must have been. What about the best parts? What were the highlights of the expedition for you all? What were the successes? What do you... What, yeah. what made you happy about the expedition? So that uh, 2019 expedition, I'm very happy to the old success, uh, the weather station course, ice course. You know, the, the ice also has ice course south Cole, and we make a <coughs> port safe for weather stations. That is good. And also base camp is very nice. That is now also good. Mm-hmm. And camp to south Cole and balcony but uh bal- yeah there was uh that times i'm very heavy and also all people's safe to back to home mm-hmm. that is very important and this i'm very heavy there that's always the goal isn't it yes <laughs> yes. yes yeah i think for me too it just it was an incredibly successful expedition all the way around not just with the weather stations but with the ice core and the other science teams too just to amazing work and and i think for me it was it was so it was so uh special or important to see how many nepali students and um and and scientists were involved uh especially working at a base camp and uh and then you know the strong support of our sherpa team and just how i mean how uh, capable and putting together the weather station and, um, and, and, and really learning how to build a weather station is, was just gave me such, um, um, you know, excitement and, and pride that, um, that we were able to do this together and, um, and install the two highest weather stations that have ever been installed at South Call and the balcony. And the fact that all of the stations have collected such important data and that the stations at, at Portse and, and Base Camp are, are just doing very, very well. So, Baker, can you talk a little bit about the data that's being gathered and um, why weather data from high altitudes are so important? So these high altitude regions in, in the Himalayas and also in the Andes and other mountain ranges where there are glaciers and where there's a lot of snow and ice are so important for sustaining communities downstream with water. Uh, they're, they're the livelihoods and we call these water towers. These mountains are water towers. But there are only a handful of weather stations above about 20,000 feet in the world. And so we really don't understand how quickly they're changing or, or what the important atmospheric processes are that are driving the glacier retreat at these elevations. And so the data that we are collecting from the weather stations include you know, just basic temperature, relative humidity, wind speed, wind direction, but also solar radiation, incoming solar radiation and the reflected solar radiation from the surface and also the thermal or the long wave infrared. And especially those data are incredibly important for understanding what's happening at the glacier surface and you know what is really causing the melt 
or the disappearance of the glaciers. And so we need those in order to be able to feed into the, the glacier melt models mm-hmm. that ultimately predict how much water is going to be running off. And lower down, we have precipitation sensors that measure how much rain and how much snow is falling. And of course, those are very important variables as well. And so these have all been already very helpful in scientific studies that um, have shown, for example, that Mount Everest may be one of the sunniest places in the world. Uh, It's very high up. And because it's so high up, the intensity of the sunshine is, you know, exceptional. And even when there's clouds during the monsoon, there's a lot of sun that's coming through there. And so this is a, a very important finding that there's a lot of melt that's occurring on the glaciers, even when air temperatures are well below freezing. And so that's not necessarily been well understood within the scientific community. And so that's a really important data. And then you know, from a forecasting standpoint, just having the wind speed measurements and the temperature measurements available for climbing forecasts, mm-hmm. is it's, it's helped to improve the weather forecast during the climbing season and has allowed us to better calibrate the forecast models that are being used so that when we look into the future, we can say with higher confidence what the wind speeds, what the temperature are going to be. And we think that this will certainly save lives during the climbing season by having the better weather forecasts. Wow. So do you want to talk a little bit about the, the importance of, of water? Yeah. So water, we know, is so important. And so maybe how is, how is water important in Portse and for your family and your community? Yeah. The water, water is very important both people and also animal and bird, everything. And up high in your summer pastures, the water coming off of the glaciers is so important for the grass that grows for your yaks and knacks. That's right. right? Yeah, that's right. So we put, uh, if water's not coming, we have no grass there. And then that was uh, very important for the uh, yak and knack and also some vegetables and also fuel. And also the electricity that's in your community comes from hydro power, right? Yes. We have a 60 60 kilowatt uh, hydropower in the Forte. Before it's like uh, many people not use, oh, we have this too much. But now we we have not enough because everybody needs like a heaters and also TVs there Mm -hmm. and washing machines there. Now it's not enough. A lot more demand for electricity, for sure. Yes, yes. (laughs) So, Baker, uh, the 2019 installation was just recently recognized in the Guinness World Records book as the highest altitude weather station on land. I feel like I can't, we can't get through this conversation without at least acknowledging that because that's pretty darn cool. Um, But as a matter of fact, this is one of three world records set by the expedition team. And I understand that even some of the other scientists, um, there were other like, you know, discoveries of insects at some of the highest altitudes uh, known previously. So can you just tell us a little bit about the records that you were involved with? And as a kid, I grew up, you know, I think I had multiple copies of the Guinness Book of World Records. And, oh, look, let's look at and you kind of there is a cool factor about that. Um, 
there is a certain excitement of being a part of that, but I, I think the the scientific uh, accomplishments are are much more valuable to mm-hmm. me. I think at this stage, but it's it's not to diminish the fact that we've done something that nobody else has done before, and it's really part of this incredible team that we had, and so. The weather station was a huge success, uh, but it wasn't the only one, as mm-hmm. you said. And, and we had the highest ice core. You know, our team from the University of Maine led that. Mario Pataki and Paul Majewski, and, and I mean, these guys did the heavy lifting and getting it down, and um, and so important. And then. And then there were also, uh, our team collected snow samples from just above the balcony, just up the up a little bit from the balcony. And that's where the highest microplastics in the world were found. And so this is, you know, this is just a, an indication that we've got plastics mm-hmm. just everywhere, not only in the oceans, but uh, even up on the highest slopes of Mount Everest. So, and I don't know that that's necessarily something to celebrate or it's a record, but it's not. It, it's, Maybe it's, it's an important teaching tool for us. Though. It is. It's an important teaching tool and a milestone in some ways that, hey, you know, this is very serious mm-hmm. how we're impacting the environment. Uh, yeah. And then Colleagues make important biological discoveries on the mountain, and there, there may be more records that come mm-hmm. out of that work. They're still in the process of, of analyzing it. So very significant expedition on many fronts, and it was just, for me personally, such a wonderful experience to work with a diverse team of scientists from lots of different disciplines under the umbrella of National Geographic. And with the sponsorship of Rolex, it was a very much of a highlight for sure. Yeah. A question for you, uh, Paneru. Can you just talk a little bit about what you and especially Lakba, your son Lakba and Tenzing were able to accomplish this spring on the maintenance expedition? Yes. So I'm very happy. This year we're going to Everest, the National Geography Expedition. So... We're going to, we have to check all the weather stations from Porte to balcony. We have to change battery or some, we have changed, and then the old one we bring down. Yeah. It reminds me too that after we installed the Porte and the base camp stations in 2019, you went back with a few others. Well, you built built a fence yes. uh, around each of those stations for security. Yes. And uh, especially at base camp, that was a big job uh, to haul all the materials up because you, you yeah, had to yeah. haul the fence and the and the posts and some cement too, right? Yes. And, yes. Uh, all the way wow. up to, to base camp. Yeah, we had to carry and we had to mix, mix, mix there. Yeah. Just, we make one day there. It was a great opportunity this year to develop more experience and to build capacity of um, especially Tenzing and, and Lakba, who did everything they were uh, supposed to do, that they needed to do. They were extremely successful. So I think that gives us a lot of optimism moving forward that uh, that that we can maybe maintain these stations mm-hmm. um, for for many years into yeah. the future, and so that's the goal. And to to build the capacity of the Sherpa team to to serve as the caretakers mm-hmm. and to 
uh, keep the stations running for a long time. Maybe at least four more years for four more former summits for you, right? Yeah, I think so, yeah. <laughs> Beginning to think ahead, maybe next year having a, a weather station academy. Uh, oh, nice. In, in Portsay, perhaps, kind of like the Kumbu Climbing Center mm-hmm. course to give people more opportunity to work hands-on with some of the weather stations and invite people from other parts of Nepal and perhaps other parts of the Himalaya to come in and learn and perhaps bring somebody from Campbell Scientific that um, has built a lot of the stations to do some of the training, but also for Tenzing and Lakba and some of the more experienced members of our team to actually do some teaching as well. And so we're, we're very optimistic and excited that something like that can start up in the next uh, year or two. We're clearly building relationships and building capacity there on the ground that is an important component of it. And we're also you know, building stronger collaborations with our colleagues in the Nepali government, uh, the Department of Hydrology and Meteorology, and Tribhuvan University, and, and trying to work with more Nepali scientists as well that uh, can provide leadership down the road. Um, so those are some, some of the, I think, points to look forward to. And, and then maybe this can be a, a, a kind of a, um, a testing ground and, and a place that where we can bring people from other mountain regions around the world to learn from our Sherpa friends and, and also uh, learn more about how to operate weather stations and, and mountains. And so that's part of a vision that we're working on as well. So we'll see. Wow, that's exciting. It's exciting to um, to sit here. It's been a pleasure to spend a little bit of time with you two and just s- see the continuation of uh, a friendship and um, a, a trusted colleague relationship as well. So um, I appreciate that. It's it's um, It's been my privilege to be here with you two today. Um, so Baker Perry and Panro Sherpa, um, thank you for being here um, to be able to revitalize the sound effect podcast after this time with the two of you has been, um, uh, yeah, it's been my privilege. So thank you so much for being here today. Um, the work that you're doing that's expanding and deepening our perspectives on climate science, um, which is really for the benefit of the Nepali people and all of the citizens of the world, it really is groundbreaking and it, um, it makes such a huge difference. You sit here in, in uh, Boone, North Carolina, and think about the far-reaching impact that this work is having, and the fact that I can sit in my office and see what the temperature is on Mount Everest is pretty darn cool. So um, so beyond the cool factor, it's also just incredibly important for, for climate science. And uh, thank you for that work and for being here with me today. Okay. Thank you again for having us. This was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Thanks yes. so much. Thank you. Today's show was written and produced by Troy Tuttle, Dave Blanks, and me, Megan Hayes. Our sound engineer is Dave Blanks with assistance from Wes Craig. Our web team is Pete Montaldi, Alex Waterworth, and Derek Wyckoff. Research assistance comes from Elizabeth Wall, and video and photo support come from Garrett Ford and Marie Freeman. Our theme song was written and performed by Derek Wyckoff of Naked Gods. Our podcast studio is dedicated to Greg Cuddy. 
Special thanks to Stephen Dubner for the inspiration, advice, and moral support. Sound Effect is a production of the University Communications Team at Appalachian State University in Boone, North Carolina. Thanks for listening. For Sound Effect, I'm Megan Hayes. Thank you.